Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Thank you very much, John. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Prime Time. Uh, so Joe Biden, the president-elect, was making plans today to help all those hungry people in this country figure out a relief plan with other top Democrats. But how he, can he get any relief past the Trump party, which is delaying any help while they wait for what? For Trump to finish trying to rig the election results. They literally won't act on testing, a push for a transition, a push for a deal for relief with more people waiting in line for food than we've seen since the Great Depression. How much worse will things get in 61 days if they allow this inaction to continue? You know, 61 days ago, we were under 200,000 dead. Still a horrible number. Now we're over 250,000. Is that going to be another it is what it is for these people? Don't allow it. Don't allow your outrage to fatigue. We have to do better than we are right now. Now, you can't say that for Trump. He's going to do nothing about this virus, even though it is savaging our country and his own family. Donald Trump Jr. now has COVID. That makes two Trump sons, Trump's wife and himself, all taking ill with the virus that he remains determined to ignore. Now, of course, we wish Donald Trump Jr. well. I hope he stays asymptomatic and he gets through it and he doesn't give it to any of his kids. Now, his father is allowing too many to fall ill through his inaction. It's almost as if he is afflicted by an additional malady, one that devoured his intellect and took his sense of reason prisoner, rendering him incapable of grasping reality. Exhibit A. Which I won, by the way, but, you know, we'll find that out. Uh, almost 74 million votes. He's right on the last part, almost 74 million votes. Problem is, somebody else was running. And his behavior, his lies, his inaction, his lack of decency inspired the most people ever to come out in a presidential election, almost with the sole priority of getting rid of him. Joe Biden set the record in besting Trump bigly, okay? We will have never seen as many votes as Joe Biden gets in the final tally, more than six million more than the only president, in no irony, that we've ever seen actually ignore a pandemic. The state of play, the key state of Georgia, has turned blue. It just certified its election results, a function of a hand count audit. Trump loses to Biden by 12,000 plus votes. Even the staunch Trump loyalist who delayed fighting the pandemic himself in deference to Trump, that Republican governor had to admit it's over. State law now requires the governor's office to formalize the certification. As governor, I have a solemn responsibility to follow the law, and that is what I will continue to do. We get it. You don't want to do it. You don't want to make anybody upset. If you had any choice, you wouldn't do it. That's why we have law here, governor. You have to do it. Meanwhile, the man you look up to, 
Donald Trump continues to look for ways around the law, doesn't he? He's doing so in plain sight, and his party says nothing. You saw another example of it today. I don't know why these lawmakers from Michigan agreed to a public meeting when they know we are all waiting to see if they will help Trump defy the will of people in their state of Michigan. The legislators say, oh, no, we came to use the time to beg the president for COVID relief. Come on. You know why you were invited. You decided to come. Now, after the meeting, they said, quote, we have not yet been made aware of any information that would change the outcome of the election in Michigan. And as legislative leaders, we will follow the law and follow the normal process regarding Michigan's electors, just as we have said throughout this election. Michigan's certification process should be a deliberate process, free from threats and intimidation. In Michigan, Trump is down by more than 150,000 votes, 154,000. That's a 2.8 percentage point margin. There is no precedent for any kind of recount there. Now, what do they keep telling you? Systemic, blah, 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 blah. Everybody's in on it. You're in on it. I'm in on it. Everybody's in on it. Okay. But where do they focus? Big cities, Detroit, Philadelphia, Atlanta. You think it's a coincidence that those are all cities with big African-American populations? You think it's a coincidence that what they want to do is take the vote and disenfranchise those same people? Come on, you know what this is about. They're going ugly to the end. Now, one thing is for sure. Nobody acting on this pandemic and the economic pain for another two months could put us in the biggest hole we have ever seen. Is that where we're headed? Let's discuss. Dana Bash, Charlie Dent, thank you both, especially on a Friday night. So Dana, what's your latest take on the state of play? Uh, we just heard Plot saying from the New York Times that you're hearing about a Republican here, Republican there, starting to say he's got to admit. I don't really hear it. What are you hearing with your sources about where we are in terms of a Nixon-esque come to Jesus meeting uh, where the heads of what used to be the Republican Party go to Trump and say, enough. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I'm not hearing that. Um, it's hard to imagine a, a Mitch McConnell uh, or any of his immediate deputies or Kevin McCarthy, uh, who used to serve with uh, with the esteemed gentleman we're on with, Mr. Dent. No, I mean, I just don't see it. What I am hearing, though, Chris, and I heard again today is more of the rank and file, even in the Senate, um, talking amongst themselves about uh, about trying to find a way out. And and when I say find a way out, um, it, the, the, the tone and the tenor in, in conversations that I'm having with Republicans, the, it's different after what happened yesterday with the Rudy Giuliani press conference, with meddling in Michigan and yesterday and today as well. And, you know, the, the hope was that the, the, it would work itself out. That was a quote from a, a Republican Senate source I talked to. And that it was very clear to them yesterday that they are far from that. So the mm. question is, what are they going to do? And at this point, though, I don't know that they can really convince them of anything, Chris. At this point, it's getting on the right side of history, finally, and getting on the record that this is wrong, what the president is doing. They just have to say it. They don't have to make him believe it. Uh, I mean, Charlie, we all saw it firsthand. Rudy Giuliani was the metaphor for the melting away of your party. Uh, we watched it in real time. Uh, do you really believe that your party is just going to wait this out and then think that they'll have any kind of leverage going into this next period and then the midterms? 
Well, look, Chris, the election's over. Everybody knows it. You know, there's no time left on the clock. The score's on the board. It's over. Every Republican with whom I have spoken knows it's over. Why they don't want to say it publicly is a bit of a mystery. Maybe it's because of the Georgia race races. Maybe it's because uh, maybe it's because they're worried about Trump unleashing the base against them. But they know the game is over, uh, and they'd be smart to admit it and just acknowledge it right now. Uh, Pennsylvania, for example, is going to certify their vote on Monday. It's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. Everybody knows it. So uh, Republicans are going into the midterms with a wind at their back, uh, unless unless Donald Trump makes a lot of noise and screws things up for him, you usually want to make the midterms about the party of the president, not your own party. Why would they have the wind at their back when any campaigner worth their salt will say they did nothing while people were starving in this country for months? No relief put up for even a vote by McConnell while they waited for Trump to get his feelings in effect. Yeah, only be for historical reasons, uh, just because the, the, the midterm election always benefits uh, the party, not of, not of the president. That's always been the case with two exceptions, I think, in the last 75 years, 98 and 2002. Uh, obviously, what's happening right now is not helping Republicans moving into the midterms, but hey, we're a long way off from that. True, 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 true. Uh, Dana, uh, the, the optics were terrible for the Michigan lawmakers today. They can say they went there to beg for COVID money, but everybody knows that wasn't why they were invited. Uh, what are you hearing about how that meeting went and what the expectation is? Well, you know, from, from the beginning, the White House tried to spin uh, the, the fact that the president wasn't trying to influence them. We don't know exactly what was said or not said uh, on that notion inside the meeting. But what we do know, and most importantly, is they came out saying that uh, nothing is going to change, that the Michigan results are the Michigan results. And, um, you know, the, these Republican lawmakers almost didn't have a choice uh, who flew in from Michigan. I mean, they were put in such a box by the president that if they came out and said, you know what, we're going to fight, um, it would have put, and I've talked to Republicans in Michigan about this, it would have put every Republican who won, who on the ballot, not just, uh, you know, on the on the federal level, on the state level, I mean, down ballot in in, in trouble uh, there. And so, look, that was not going to happen. But just the fact that the president put them in this situation and is continuing to put other Republicans in this situation is is one of the reasons why uh, I'm hearing, you know, much more alarm. But again, to what end? Mm. They just don't think and, and Congressman Dent knows this. He was there. They don't they just don't think that they can have much of an influence on the president and it could only backfire. It doesn't mean they're not enabling him. They are. But they're just they're, they're in a box, frankly, that they created. Right. But, Charlie, you know, the play, the play isn't to convince him of anything. It's just to clear your own record for what's going to be examined against you. We may have seen the only demonstration today of where covid did somebody a favor because those Michigan lawmakers were supposed to be sitting with Trump and Rudy. You say you're there to argue for COVID money. You were supposed to be looking at Rudy Giuliani. The only reason he wasn't there was because, you know, uh, God forbid it gets any worse, but his son has been diagnosed with COVID and Rudy has to quarantine. We wish him and his family well, of course. Um, but he was going to go to that meeting. Charlie, you take that meeting even when you were on the state level. I know it's cool for the president to invite you to the White House, but in this atmosphere, you get called to the White House to meet with Rudy and you take that meeting? Well, I'll tell you what, I know that the, in, my sources in the Pennsylvania General Assembly tell me uh, the state Senate majority leader, now pro temp 
he's now the pro tem, and the Speaker of the House are going to be meeting with the president. Uh, they've been invited. They are going to go. Nothing is going to change, by the way, because Pennsylvania law and the Constitution are very clear on this. The General Assembly does not have the authority uh, to produce an alternative set uh, of electors. It is not going to happen. And by the way, if this election is not... The General Assembly will never go along with that because they, they had a terrific night. Uh, they had a terrific yeah. election for the state house and the state senate. Right. And the only thing, though, the good guys care more about themselves than they do the president. And they're not going to do anything. But then why go? To endanger their, their. What's that? Then why go? Well, I, I suspect, you know, you're being invited to the White House by the president. I think it's a big deal for them. They're going to go down and uh, they're going to get a nice lunch or dinner. They may be on the menu, uh, but they are going to they're going to go down and uh, and they're going to hear the president out. But I'm, I, I can assure you nothing is going to change. I think these want I, I think they're they're flattered that they've been invited. Yeah, but the why matters. Dana, can't you write the commercial now? You know, yeah. whatever the man or woman's name is, you show them walking into the White House. You know, when our democracy needed exactly. leadership most. Look at this cat walking in. You know, to the you know to to the White House to meet with a guy who was trying to steal the election. Yeah, no question about it. The, the problem is what you talk about every night on the show. The problem is that 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 commercial is powerful and works in a universe where everybody agrees to the same set of facts. And as long as Donald Trump is a presence in um, American politics, and much more importantly in uh, the Republican Party. And as long as he has willing partners spewing conspiracy theories, then that walking into the White House for that sector of the population, hearing things that are just not true and believing them um, could help, which is really disturbing. But it's just, you know, another example point of where we are. Mm. Charlie, last word. Yeah, well, these legislators are only going to get themselves in trouble if they defy the popular vote. That's what will happen. If they do anything to uh, not certify the election where, where Biden won, uh, there will be a political uproar like they've never dealt with. So I, I guarantee you, this is all going to blow over uh, once these results are certified and the electors do their job in December. Only one thing has surprised me in the last few days. You know what it was? That Trump didn't come out and trash Rudy. He knows Rudy killed him yesterday. He knows yep. that Rudy, forget about, I'm telling you, you know you have a bad day when your face melting on television is the least <laughs> of your problems. Him He's coming the up, only one out there, but you know this, Chris, he is the only, he, Rudy Giuliani, is the only one out they, there willing to fight for the president. And that's something when you're Donald Trump, especially when you know you're fighting a losing battle and he knows that. But he's all about optics, Charlie. And his guy was melting on TV, literally blamed the entire universe and then said the key phrase that killed him. We can prove it. They've been in court 30 yeah. times. They never proved anything. He had a judge looking at him the way I was the first time I stood up on a case 25 years ago. It killed the president yesterday. It ended yesterday. Yeah, well, you know what? They, they, Rudy was saying that the, uh, the the vote in Philadelphia was stolen. Well, the Philadelphia Democrats were trying to steal the election. They did a really lousy job of it because because Biden underperformed Hillary in Philadelphia. It's yep. the only county in Pennsylvania where he underperformed that I, so far that I can see. It would be the only conspiracy where the conspirators <laughs> wanted to also take care of the other side down ballot. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take the big great ticket. Job. But we're going to we're going to give you bunch. Congress because you know even though we're we're felons, <laughs> we're still fair. What a world. Oh, they gave the, the, the General Assembly in the row offices, too. I know. It's, it's like down ballot. We want to make it look good. So 
let's it's not really gain advantage. It's what happens when advantage. you rely on a, on a dictator from South America who's been dead for seven years. That's right. I mean, you know, that's what, what, what the planning had to be messed up. You know, the guy who figured it out has been dead for almost a decade. Dana, thank you very much. I'd be laughing. Uh, if it weren't actually, so damn it's sad, it's not, but I can't, it's right. you know, I just, I, I have, have a little makeup laugh. on tonight. I don't want to mess it up. Charlie Dent, have a good weekend. Dana Bash, God bless. Be well. All right. Be of sure. all the states for Trump to make us think about, he's focused on Michigan and it doesn't make sense because he's down so much. How much? What does it mean? What is in context? Why is it so hapless for him to do what he's doing? We can show it statistically, the Wizard of Odds will take a look at Michigan and why this makes no sense, especially with Detroit. I gave you the color play, but it still doesn't make any sense. Harry will tell you why next. I just got an email from Rudy Giuliani alerts, but it's really from the Trump-Pence campaign. I'm looking at it now. Did you hear the news? Giuliani and the Trump team have reportedly uncovered mass caps amounts of voting caps irregularities. Caps. Really? That's reportedly? Reportedly is code for that's been in the media. Have you heard that? Have you heard that anybody believes that there's proof of anything? And then they ask for you to contribute to the defense fund. So the wealthiest president supposedly we've ever had in the universe needs your money hardworking people to fund this BS? Really? That's where it is? That's surreality. This is reality. The votes have been counted. Some recounted by hand in George's case. Re-recounted, okay? The 45th president of these United States is out. He can't accept it, but that's okay. Truth doesn't need you to accept it. He's still targeting states. Michigan, specifically Detroit. Why? Is it the fact that it has a huge black population? The numbers hold the truth. Let's bring in the Wizard of Odds, Harry Enton. What do you make of it? I mean, I got to be honest with you. I I do not understand from a statistical standpoint what the president is talking about and what his campaign is talking about. Show me. There's just no proof of any of this stuff. Take a look here. You know, you're talking about Detroit. You're talking about Michigan, right? Let's take a look at the turnout relative to 2016. This idea, there was this mass amount of new votes, these irregularities. The turnout in Michigan was only up 4% relative to 2016. In Michigan relative to 2016, it was up 15%. So again, you were talking about in that last segment, if they're creating this voter fraud, they're doing a really poor job of doing it. If they're doing it in Detroit, they're simply put not finding the votes that they're finding statewide. It's ridiculous, Christopher. Also, what did Detroit mean for the Democrat margin statewide? Yeah, this is another thing that's so important. Again, relative to 2016, look at this. Remember that uh, Joe Biden needs to overcome about a 10,000 vote deficit. Versus relative to Hillary Clinton, Biden only gained 858 votes against Trump in Detroit. Statewide, he gained nearly 165,000 votes against Trump relative to Clinton. The votes did not come from Detroit, Chris. They didn't come from Detroit. Where did they come from? Show us. This is, I think, is so important. Where did it come from? It came from the suburbs. That's where it came from. Look at this. In the Detroit suburbs, which is basically 
everywhere outside of uh, Detroit and Wayne County, plus all the counties that touch Wayne County. Look at this. The Democratic vote margin up 123,761. That's where most of that vote came from. And the overall turnout in those Detroit suburbs was up 16 percent. It was the suburbs that turned against Donald Trump. It wasn't Detroit. It wasn't Philadelphia, say, if you're taking Pennsylvania. It was the suburbs in all of these states. And the president just can't seem to comprehend it. He tends to think it's some sort of big city, you know, machinery that did him wrong and created fraud. No, it was suburban voters, something we've been talking about all along, who turned against the president because they couldn't take him or his rhetoric. So as I said in the open, if it is that he has some kind of malady that devours intellect and takes reason prisoner, that would help explain why he's trying to blame Michigan uh, on these populations that didn't matter, except for one thing. It's not about reason. Could be about color. What is the reality about Detroit that is more important than the statistics of votes? Yeah. I mean, take a look here. If you look at the citizen voting age population in Detroit, it's 81 percent black. Michigan at large is 14% African-American. Non-Detroit, Wayne County, again, 14%. You can't help but look at these stats and say he's targeting an African-American population that he has targeted basically throughout his entire political career, obviously, you know, going back to New York and the Central Park uh, Five. And, and this is just something we've seen over and over and over again. He's targeting black voters who have overcome so much to come out and vote. And the fact is, they did vote against this president, but that wasn't the reason why he lost. It was because he lost because of the suburbs and a lot of white voters in those suburbs, just like in non-Detroit Wayne County, where Trump lost considerable ground versus 2016. It wasn't Detroit where he lost that ground. It was in those suburbs. You're not going to drive a conspiracy with whites in suburbs came after me. <laughs> not going to happen. No. He needs to play color. That's what he's always done. Harry, thank you very much. Have a thank good you, weekend. Sir. You too. I want to bring in Adav Noti. He's senior director of the trial litigation at campaign uh, at the Campaign Legal Center. Uh, and he's a member of the National Task Force on Election Crises. Well, you got one, one right here, Counselor. Um, so what has people most anxious? Trump's going to get the Republican legislatures to change the electors and steal the election. Maybe Pennsylvania, maybe Michigan, maybe both. Could it happen? No, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's, the entire idea is it's, it's anti-American, it's undemocratic, and it's really unfortunate that anybody's even decided to, to float it, this idea of overruling the popular vote. But, but the important thing is it's not working. It, it hasn't worked. It isn't working. What about those not... Michigans showing up at, uh, today at the White House? And in Pennsylvania, lawmakers are going, we hear from Charlie Dent. Why are they going if they can't do anything? Well, every legislator who's in a position of power in one of these states has made very clear that they know that under the Constitution and under federal law and under state law, they do not have the power to change the rules for the presidential election after Election Day. Um, the, the, there's a, a, a vocal fringe minority that's tried to float this idea over and over, but it hasn't gone anywhere and it's not going to go anywhere because it would violate federal law and the Constitution. So let's go through the uh, criteria one at a time. Why would that violate the Constitution? Because under the Constitution and under laws that have been on the books since the, the 1800s, the, the state has to decide on its rules for a presidential election by Election Day. And once Election Day passes, the state legislature or anybody else has no more authority to change those rules. All that's left to do after Election Day 
is determined the winner based on the votes that were cast by Election Day. All right. What about uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania and any other state in terms of what their operative laws allow them to do in, in case of their elector, uh, their elector selection? All, the, all, all that any state law or federal law allows a state to do is count the popular votes and determine the allocation of the electoral votes based on the popular vote winner. But what the about picking the electors so that I pick you and I say, no tea, you know, you're my guy. Um, go in there and vote the way we want you to, not according to the vote. We think the vote was messed up. Can you do that? Faithless. No, the, the, the presidential electors were nominated by the parties in advance of the election, and whichever candidate gets the most popular votes, and this is in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, whichever candidate gets the most popular votes, their nominees for the Electoral College are appointed, and the state legislature cannot change that after the fact under the Constitution or under federal law. But isn't it true that Hillary Clinton had a couple of people go faithless? and not vote for her as they were supposed to? Right, so in most states, there are laws on the books that require presidential electors to vote for the winner of the popular vote in their state and have rules that if somebody tries to deviate from that, tries to be faithless, they automatically lose their, their position in the electoral college. There have from time to time been a handful of electors who have, have deviated from the popular vote anyway, but very, very small numbers in most states, it's not even possible, and it's never been remotely close to affecting a presidential uh, election result, nor would it be close this year, given the, the margins. Five broke from Clinton, two uh, from Trump. It didn't change the results, but it did make the parties tighten their process to only loyalists. But the loyalism is going to be a problem. That's why he was inviting their people there. So what is the net effect of all this? Is it just noise, in your opinion? Do you really believe that Trump is completely impotent? Because obviously he doesn't think he is, right? He wouldn't be inviting these people to the White House, or would he? Do you think, let's put on your political hat for a second, not just your legal hat. Would he want to make this show today, get big mouths like me to talk about it, just to mess with us? just to make people pay for him losing with chaos and anxiety and uncertainty and inaction during a pandemic? Could this just be for effect? It, it could. I, I don't know if the president thinks that this is a, a viable option, but th the fact is it's not, right? The, the, the popular vote will decide the, and has decided the winner of the presidential election. And all of the president's efforts to try to incite uh, state legislatures or anybody else to, to violate the law, they're not going to work. And if, if somebody were to try to take him up on that offer, it would fail. There are protections in state law and federal law and in the Constitution to prevent that sort of overruling of election results. So I think it's, it's very wise that the state legislators have you know, declined the president's invitation to, to break the laws of the nation and and, and uh, you know, act counter to the very principles of American democracy. You're sure that there's nothing in Pennsylvania or Michigan law that would allow a legislature to make a change in terms of who their electors go to that would be in opposition to the vote total? There is nothing in the law of any state or the laws of the federal government that would allow a state legislature to change the rules of the election after Election Day. They cannot change the result of the 2020 election any more than they can change the result of the 1920 election or the 1820 election. I guess what he's going to ask them to do is to mess with certification. 
That's the only thing he can do, because once it's certified, their hands are tied the way you're talking about. But the operative effect is certification to get them to throw out the ballots before. But that's complicated because they'll have to show cause. And right now, you saw even the Michiganders today said we haven't seen any proof of anything. All right. Mr. Noti, thank you very much, Counselor. Appreciate you laying it out. Thank you. All right. As I said up at the top of the show, a second son of President Trump is now COVID positive. Don Jr., Another big name, but, you know, we're not worried about the big names because big names get good health care. And unless they're an extremist, uh, they're going to be OK, God willing. All right. But there are hundreds of thousands of new cases. And there are a lot of people who can't get access to care, who check a lot of risk boxes and it can go so bad so quickly. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is here. Now, he just did an exclusive interview with Dr. Burks of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. How does she see our next few steps? The good doctor on a Friday night. Oh, you can't beat that. Let's talk science. Our case curve sucks. Okay? Take a look at it. The COVID cases, higher, faster, every day. No, this wasn't expected. No, this isn't the way it goes. No, it's just not about it being the fall or people going back to school. It's about us. 184,000 people infected today alone. I keep saying the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., got it. Why? I don't want him to be sick. I hope he's fine. I hope his family is fine. Personal animus is their thing, not mine. But what a metaphor. He can't even keep his own family safe. The White House is a micro cluster. Let's bring in Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You know, there is a feeling out there. This is the way it goes, Doc. This is what happens. We knew this would happen. It'll be okay. It goes up and it goes down. It happens everywhere. What do you do with that nonchalance? No, I mean, it, this, is, uh, this is one of those things where people thought that there was an inevitability about this. There's no question it's a contagious virus, but, uh, you know, we've known from the start, Chris, how to best protect ourselves. Uh, we've seen examples of that all over the world. We've seen examples of that in this country even, you know, places where uh, the, the transmission really spiked. People took action and they brought that curve down. So it, th that wasn't a vaccine or some sort of new therapeutic. It was just these basic public health actions. But I share your same perspective. I mean, the White House, uh, you know, supposed to be one of the most protected houses. Uh, they had testing. They had all the resources and stuff. But if you don't do the basics, all that other stuff's not going to matter. And we're seeing that over and over again. Like you, I mean, I think Don Jr. is uh, early 40s. I, I hope he does well. He should statistically do well. But this is not a virus you want, and this could have been avoided. Mm. It's interesting, you know, his girlfriend got it, and it took him actually a long time uh, to get it. So hopefully, you know, he's strong, he's got his resistance, he'll be fine. It's everybody else we got to worry about. And that takes us to your big interview. Dr. Burks, how did you find the doctor in your interview? What was your perception of mood and tone? Mm. That's a good question. You know, of course she, she's is. very careful, uh, Chris. <laughs> she's very careful, as, as you know, and she's... Um, She's cautious. I think that she's had a tough time with all this. I mean, she was doing daily briefings up until April. The last briefing before yesterday uh, was on July 8th. She essentially said that she was not going to sit there and listen to Dr. Scott Atlas anymore because she fundamentally disagreed with his approach to just about everything, especially his approach to herd immunity. So, you know, she took her show on the road and was out there sort of doing her thing. We talked about a lot of different things, but one of the things I really drilled down on her with, Chris, was something that you and I have been talking about a lot, testing. What's the role of testing? What's the value of testing? 
Where did we go right? Where did we go wrong on testing? Chris, listen to what she said. Was there ever a strategic decision not to test as much? I think there was not, that was not a strategic decision to not to test. There was a strategic decision to test more uh, until a particular time frame in the late summer when you saw the CDC guidance change to symptomatic testing. And I, from the, I really, I can't tell you how strongly I believe that symptomatic testing and contact tracing is only, well, it's less than half of the equation. And unless you get the other half of the equation, you're not going to stop community spread. It's interesting. I, I, what I did you take? You caught that in yeah. there. What did you take? Yeah. I, it's, it's, what I took is that she basically kind of admitted that, uh, you know, uh, they tried to increase testing for a period of time and then it got to late summer and um, they basically sort of abandoned the idea of increasing testing at that point. The CDC came out with that pretty spurious guidance, which they then retracted, that said the only people that need to be tested are symptomatic people. We all knew that was nonsense at that point because so much of the spread, so much of the spread of the pandemic in this country was coming from people who didn't have symptoms. Right. They didn't know they had the virus, they had no symptoms, and yet they were still spreading. Why wouldn't you test them? That's how you gain control of a pandemic. Um, you know, what, what Ambassador Burks basically said is that there, there came a time when she just fundamentally disagreed with what the CDC had recommended at that point. And that's, that's a huge issue, Chris. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of time to reflect, but that may have been one of the most pivotal mistakes in this entire thing when they decided to pull back on testing, yeah. at least for a period of time. Also explains a little bit of the nonchalance about schools, uh, is that you know, they had this political point of view that if we can just stick with symptoms, because it makes sense to people, if you're asymptomatic, you must not be as dangerous. That helped them sell people short on schools. What about the vaccine uh, and Pfizer filing for emergency use? Uh, I would assume that that is a no-brainer, but what is the actual process and the chance that they get it? Well, I, I, I'm very optimistic about this, Chris. I'll preface by saying, you know, nobody has really seen the data except mm -hmm. for this independent committee. It's now being submitted to the FDA. But if it is what they say it is, I mean, Chris, this is... This is good news. I mean, let me show you the calendar. So the EUA, the Emergency Use Authorization, that's been applied for today. Keep in mind, I mean, you know, we just got the sequence for this virus, January, middle of January. So that's record, record speed. If all goes as planned, this committee is going to, they're, they're gonna start looking at the data tonight, you know, certainly right away. And by December 10th, they feel like this advisory committee will be able to convene, uh, discuss the data, and maybe even that day, I'm talking December 10th, they could grant this emergency use authorization, at which point the vaccine, which has already been manufactured, uh, tens of millions of doses will start being distributed to states. There's one more committee that's got to meet that basically is the who, what, where committee. Who's going to get the vaccine? What vaccine? In case there's more than one at that point, uh, vaccine are they going to get? And where is it going to go? But Chris, by mid-December, maybe certainly before Christmas, the first people for the first time outside of a clinical trial could start receiving this vaccine, the first shot. It's two shots, second shot, probably first week of January. Takes about seven days after that to actually consider yourself immunized. So beginning of next year, Chris, we could have the first uh, immunized people by vaccine in this country. When do you have people vaccinated enough so that masks disappear from our streets? 
Mm. Well, you know, I think that's going to be some time. I mean, we started doing the math. We can show you how many with the production of vaccines. So, you know, 40 million doses, uh, Secretary Azar has said, will probably be available by the end of this year. Okay, two doses per person. So that'd be 20 million people. If you do the math on that, you get 150 million doses by the end of March, 75 million people. Um, that's not enough, obviously, to, to consider the, the country sort of uh, protected. You really need to get into the 60 to 70 percent range. But so you're not even close. There, um, you're not even in close until the middle not, of the summer. Yeah, I think it's going to be middle of summer or even early fall before you really get to that point. And then even then, Chris, for a period of time, there may still be uh, recommendations on masks in public gatherings. Larger public gatherings will start to become more and more common. But for a period of time, uh, it, may, it may sort of be this, this risk mitigation. If you're considered high risk, you haven't been vaccinated for some reason, you may be someone who still wants to wear a mask. Uh, you may want to be in situations where people around you are wearing masks for a period of time. But I think, you know, by the time we get to fall of next year, um, it, I, I do think that we're going to have a much greater sense of normalcy. I think, you know, there's people who are, you know, depending on your assessment of risk and how your tolerance of risk, there are people who will still take measures. You see that in Asian countries as you have certain viral outbreaks. As we get back into flu season of next year, you may see masks coming out again. So maybe they don't go away completely, but it's going to be a much, much different position, I think, by, by late summer, early fall of next year. Real quick, you want to hear a dream I had uh, the other night about this? I was thinking about figuring out how we. I don't frame, want to hear any of your dreams, how Chris. Frame, I, how I, we I, frame masks <laughs> and when we'll get rid of them. I had a Feisty dream. Feisty Friday night for I Chris. I had a dream. Okay, you're going with this. <laughs> I had a dream okay. that uh, Coop and I. I tried to talk you off this. Listen, <laughs> you, you'll like this. Stop! Um, stop! <laughs> Coop and I were in some kind of sandstorm in the Middle East. We were covering conflict, and I said to him, "Man." Uh, we needed masks, you know, because of the sandstorm. And I was like, I used to have like five masks on me at a time. Do you remember those days? And he was like, yeah, you know, uh, we had masks all the time. And you came in and had masks for us. And I said, why do you have extra masks? And you said, because I'm the good doctor. (laughs) (laughs) But someday, someday, God willing, we'll be in a situation where we need a mask and we'll have to think back to what we live through here. God willing, we get through it together. Dr. Gupta, have a good weekend. Appreciate it. Yeah, you are. You are the master. I'm bringing man. these to your dreams. Thank I'm bringing you. these dreams to Thank your you dreams. Thank you very Chris. much. You are welcome. You are welcome there and here, anywhere, anytime. All right. We began the year with a pandemic. We're nearing the end of it with case counts higher than ever because we have not gotten it done. And one reason for that, and it's a big reason, has been the president. And I believe it cost him the election. Now, Dan Rather has been an observer of our history and our culture for a long time. He is a journalist who will be remembered as long as we care about media and free press. How does he see where we are? How does he see where we'll be? Powerful, powerful perspective. He has it. I can't even say it. Next. Are things as crazy as we think they are? Is it more crazy than ever? Does it mean that we'll never be back to anything we think is normal? Let's talk somebody who's been watching how we develop and knows what happens and why. Icon, Dan Rather. Good to see you, brother. I hope you and the family are well. We're all well and good to see you. Thank you very much, Chris. I really don't have questions. I just want to hear where your head is. How do you see how we've gotten to this point? And what are your questions about where we go from here? 
Well, let's get to the heart of the matter. That what's happening now in this what should be transition period from one presidency to another is bigger than the president. It's bigger than the election. It's the culmination of so many things we've seen over the last four years. It actually started uh, well, well before that. That sort of getting out of touch with, with reality. Uh, that what President Trump has done, I mean, everything from, you know, ripping children from their parents to stoking racism, constant relentless attacks on the press, trashing science, it's all there. But there's something deeper and darker going on here in this transition period. And that is that President Trump is attacking the urban votes. Keep in mind the votes where, where there's a, a, a large percentage of uh, Hispanics for brown, blacks, Asians in the cities. Now, this is, this is a form of racism. And you used a phrase earlier in the broadcast that with Donald Trump, it's always about color. And that's what this is about. And this is contrary to the whole founding of the country and everything we, that we aspire to be. And it is not judging people on the basis of their race, but that's exactly what, what's going on. On the other hand, the important thing, and it's easy to lose sight of it with all this Trump propaganda, that these are the last weak thrashings of a president who has been defeated. And the center has held. Things are not in the saddle. The extremes are, are not cooking over. We're going to have a new president. Joe Biden is going to be, become president. And I think, I, I know that a lot of people who don't believe this and some people who don't want to believe it, but I do think there's a chance of a, of a restart with, with a, pre, a new President Biden. That with the Senate, who knows what some Republican senators are going to do. It's still up in the air whether the Senate's going to be in control of the Republicans or not, depending on what happens in Georgia. But, you know, we do have to ask ourselves the questions. There's been so much poison put into our whole political body uh, that the red-beating heart of America is still very strong. But we have to look to the future and ask ourselves, is what's going on now, has it laid a template for some future president to say, well, Donald Trump, you know, he lashed out trying to steal an election. He wasn't successful, but we can take what he's done. I'm, I'm very much concerned about that. As you know, Chris, we've talked about it before, that I'm an optimist by experience and by nature, and I am optimistic about the future. But we have to understand that what we have here in the United States is a democracy based on the principles of freedom and democracy set forth in the Constitution. It's a social compact uh, that is committed to a rule of law, decency, kindness, and respect for one another. Right now, our institutions are holding, the process is holding, we, we had a very honest election. Whether we can hold firm with that going into the future, given what we've been through the last four, four years, remains an open question. What about the media? What should we do more? What should we do less in terms of lessons learned? Well, we should just keep on doing our job. There was a good example today in the press room when the CNN reporter, uh, Collins, uh, you know, said to the press spokesman, the press spokesman said, I don't take questions from activists. And the reporter, and I give her high marks, stood her ground and said, I'm not an activist. I'm trying to do my job. And the great Jake Dapper said later, you know, that uh, this reporter is not an activist, except she's an activist for truth and facts and for doing her job. I give the media a, a pretty good grade. We've certainly made our mistakes. We depended too much on the polls, for example, during the election. But I think overall, in the main, 
the, the media has done its job. It's very important we continue to do that job, and which includes asking all the tough questions for Joe Biden once he becomes president, which he will. Caitlin Collins uh, is doing great. Uh, she's going to have to search for role models. My generation did not. I got to watch people like you, specifically you. You had the respect of my father because of how you did the job. And you showed me that an anchor can bring integrity to any kind of coverage, whether it's weather, whether it's law, whether it's famine, everything can be done with integrity. And I learned that from you. And thank you for helping the audience tonight. Have a good weekend and God bless the family. Dan Rather. Thank you very much, Chris. Good luck, guys. We will. We'll be right back. Thank you for watching on a Friday night. A special treat, of course, is The Big Show, CNN Tonight, with its star, D. Lemon. The Big Show. I like that. That's good. You're right about that. So what are you supposed to make of a situation when the expert says these legislatures can't change the law after Election Day? They can't change the vote. But the president is still reaching out, inviting them to the White House and wanting Rudy to give them a cell. Oh, he just he wants to be nice. He's just that there's not there's no ulterior motive to that. He's but I'm saying, what are we supposed to make of what's possible? Of what's possible with what? It's possible. He, there's no changing. I mean, in the court of public opinion, he may want to he may. I don't know if he's going to change anyone outside of his uh, the people who are very strongly connected connected to him and support him. Everybody else sees what's going on and even they see what's going on, but they can't you know, they, they can't quit him. So uh, they can't. They can't quit it. I mean, all the phrases. It's true, though. I mean, think I, about I it. I get the idea. It's, almost, it's like um, uh, it's similar to when someone becomes famous, right? And then the fame goes away. Uh, the rec- and you're like, you're looking for that recognition. And then once it's gone, you're like, wait a minute. Where is it? Where are the cameras? Where... Why is nobody calling me on the phone? Why am I no longer the it person? I'm no longer the ingenue. Uh, and I think that's kind of what's going on. And then after a while, you realize, well, you know, everything has its time and comes to an end. All good or bad things come to an end. Which, look, would be a nice kind of, you know, story of the journey of learning if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. Well, that's true. And every day we do this. But more importantly, because, look, we know who this man is. We've known it from the beginning. There is no surprise, no matter what he does. Yeah. But for the Trump party to stand by and watch and not do anything to help with relief and not to do anything to help with the pandemic and not to jump up and down and say he's wrong, where will they go from here? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I've been looking for the answer for, to that and this whole thing about reaching out. And yes, it, everybody needs to come together and we need to, you know, the, all that kumbaya stuff. That would be great in a completely utopian society. But that's not what we live in, right? Thunderdome. The, right. So, but how do you, and this is an honest question, how do you come to some sort of compromise or an agreement with a person who doesn't believe in science, a person who doesn't believe in facts, a person who doesn't believe in reality, um, and any of that, a person who doesn't believe that even just for the courtesy of, of uh, maybe taking care of your fellow man's health. I have, it's like, remember you, I, you used to keep like napkins, I would find like napkins in my pocket. Now it's like, I have like uh, masks everywhere. I'm like, wait, I just like feel, I'm like, where do, where's the mask? I just feel there's one in some pocket everywhere, right? And that's how it should be for just where, just, 
For someone who doesn't believe in that, how do you come to some sort of agreement that you don't care enough about maybe yourself or you don't care enough about someone else that you just can't put a little piece of cloth over your face? I don't know where the compromise and the come togethering I know that's where that's going to come from. I think the problem, as we both yeah. know, is it's not about the mask. It's yeah. about all the it's all of the reasons and the twisted yep. thoughts and feelings that go into why they don't wear one. And I don't know what the answer is to get past it. Yeah. So you thought you were getting rid of me right now, but you're not next week. We discussed this. I haven't I haven't updated you, but I'm going to update our audience right now. So I got to wait. Yeah, you got to wait. You got to with everybody, like everybody else. else. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I carry your dogs. Yeah. I keep you safe. <laughs> and this is what I get. Fine. I love you, D-Lemon, despite you. I, I love, love you. you, too. Stand by for news. Thank you, sir. You as well. I love you. This is CNN. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.